In our culture, we learn through stories. But what if the stories we hear don't match the reality of life? What if the stories we hear every day that tell us how to write the narrative of our lives actually lead us to a false narrative? My name is Tim Kroll, and on this podcast, you will hear real stories, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Real people sharing the hard times, the bends in the roads along life's journey. If you're ready to join a community of other real people who are writing the narrative of their lives, then go to narrative.live and join the community. Now let's dive into today's show. All right, welcome back. Man, I have another fabulous individual. Laredo is here with me. We actually met about four or five years ago and have journeyed together. Sometimes our paths cross directly. Sometimes we've had a space and time, but again, a good, good friend of mine. And I'm excited to hear a little bit more about his story and what he has been doing. Just kind of some of the things that I know about, and I know we'll dive into deeper. I mean, I know Loreto, you own a company. I know you're a great dad. I know we just talked off air about your daughters coming in and surprising you. So, I mean, I think that's pretty awesome, but let's go ahead and get started. What was the beginning of your journey? What was the, the formation of your beliefs, uh, you know, before you stepped into that adult life? Sure. Sure. So growing up, it definitely came from what, you know, most people call a pretty dysfunctional family. And uh, my father was this uh, uh, vicious human being. You know, he was a ex Golden Gloves boxer. Spent uh, eleven years in prison, and and, and it was uh, ridiculously abusive. He would take a, a cousin of mine, uh, who's my age, and we would we would be forced to be in a ring with all of our relatives around and fight right for their entertainment. <laughs> it was just weird. But anyways, going through this, the one thing that I saw is like. My dad always had this in my household. We had to, we had to have secrets all the time, right? Couldn't let anyone know what was going on. Friends, everybody had to be held at a distance. And one of the things that he taught me was don't steal. And then he would steal, right? Don't lie. And then he would lie. And so, you know, I was really confused by this growing up. Yeah. And I remember my, my senior year. I mean, I'm just going to. Fast forward, there's a lot of crazy stuff, but fast forwarding from that idea, I remember I was in the hallway and uh, there was this younger girl, inappropriately younger, who was really showing an interest and throwing herself at me. And to be quite honest, in my mind, you know, there's that part of thinking, hey, I I could do this, right? I could could, uh, date this girl I shouldn't be dating. But a cool teacher, Mr. Sarvis, he he saw this and um, he was my business dynamics teacher. And he said, Hey, Lorena, come over here. And he said, What are you doing? And I, I mean, I hadn't done anything, but he could see the writing on the wall. He said, What are you doing? You're better than that. And uh, that started to change some things. You know, it's like, I don't want to be that. Right. And then and that was my senior year. Where you, I, I was going to just ask in this, this aspect, because I, I think when you're talking about, you know, that, that situation with your dad, your dad would say this and do this, which was, like you said, extremely confusing. And that, that probably had to form something in your mind of a duality of how to live life. And uh, can you maybe just go just slightly deeper into that part of it? Sure, sure. So it, it definitely did. Like, like I had shared earlier, I was friends with everyone, but not close to anyone. So I, I, I was good at forming a relationship, but I could not form a deep bond with anyone. Even my best friends probably weren't real friends. I didn't, I didn't see them that way. 
the way like my brother sees a friend, right? I, I see his relationships and it just fascinates me. It's like, how can you care so much, you know? And I don't, so I don't understand that really. Uh, but it's something like that. I wasn't sure what I should do. So it was more like uh, I had to say or do the right things to fit in wherever I was at at the time. And, was it uh, like a mask? I mean, like, was it taking oh, a mask yeah. and just kind of putting on a mask per whatever group that you were in? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Later on in life, I joined a outlaw motorcycle club. And I'm not really that person. I love motorcycles, but I'm not that person. I hung out with uh, young white kids wearing FUBU on the corner, you know, when I was 10 years older than they were. Uh, hung out in honky tonks with people that I didn't even like the music we were listening. You know, it's just weird stuff. And I, I really never, at that time, I, I didn't understand what was happening. And I really think that it, it, that it all kind of stemmed. There was a, a moment later on in uh, my senior year where I, I had to go pick up my brother from a friend's house and, uh, that he was staying at. And I got there and he was drunk. And I mean, belligerently drunk. And he was, he's, he's three years younger than me. So that was not allowed. Right. Yeah. And uh, so I take him home and I'm so frustrated with him because he won't listen to me. Like, I, I, I think I developed this thing where people must do what I say, right, is also part of all that. And he wouldn't listen to me. So when I got home, I made, even though I knew he would get punished, I still let it slip out to my father. Again, so that sneaky thing of you're supposed to do this, but you do something different. And I'm, I'm, I'm deeply ashamed of this because it almost cost my brother's life. But he was drunk and he wouldn't say where he got the, the alcohol from. So my father spanked him with a belt and they start choking him. And blood started coming out of his mouth and something snapped. And I jumped on my father. I'd never raised a hand. I'd never, you know, my friends might have done some of that stuff, but that was not something that I would ever do. And I, I held him down and we wrestled around and I was able to get him off my brother and he ran in and he got a shotgun and he loaded it and put it right to me. And he said, you know, I'm not even sure what he said. It was crazy. So, uh, something snapped and I said, enough, I don't care. And I just walked right up to him. Yeah. Right here. And, it, and over the years I had been shot at, you know, my life was threatened several times. So, Usually I was afraid, <laughs> but I was no longer afraid. So something, so it's sort of like a quasi, I'm no longer afraid, but I also don't care. Was it, can I ask this in the part of it, the snapping and, and just to understand some of the time, because you said that teacher spoke into your life, which really made you come to recognition of, of like, I don't want to be like that. So you're talking a little bit about like just putting on a mask and you talk about some of the manipulation and some of the things that you were doing throughout because that's what you were taught and acting out of what I would call ignorance. Did that happen with your teacher prior to this event or after? It did. The event? It did. So, so basically the trigger there was the fact that your teacher said, look, this is the path you're on in essence. And it, it was like you said, something snapped in your brain. You're like, I do not want to follow that path. I do not want to be like this. Is that the the right timeline there? Well, so it wasn't exactly like that. What, what okay. that did was a little different than this. That did is it set me up with this idea that I can be good, that people that I respect 
that mentor me because Mr. Sarvis is one of, you know, uh, some of the fondest memories with him because he cared. Right. And uh, so I wanted him, I wanted to make him proud, I guess. I wanted to live up to his expectation. And, uh, uh, but, but what happened with my father was, was having that piece of now I can be different. Someone sees me different. And again, when I say these things about my father, I love him dearly. We still have a relationship today. I want to make sure that I'm not bashing him. He had it 10 times worse, to be quite honest. He could write books or, you know, lifetime movies about his life, unfortunately. That, that thing that happened of, for me, I didn't care about me, but on the side of, I was no longer going to be afraid. As far as I was going to move forward, I was going to do what I was going to do, and nothing could stop me from that point on. And uh, so I left, and I, I I lived out in the woods and stayed on couches of friends and started partying, and and uh, you know alcohol started to become a solution and just kind of let me just not think about things and not care, I guess. But my sister, I, I was at the high school because I, I had to shower there before I went to school because I didn't have a place to shower and my grandmother she worked at the school as a custodian and so i went in after hours begging her to let me stay with her and everybody was afraid of my father so no one would really allow me to stay with them maybe it just was an imposition i don't know but my sister came in i was there and she told me that if i didn't come back home that he would kill everyone and the truth is I mean, I went back home, but I went back home because I needed a shower, because I needed a place to stay. I didn't go back. I didn't care anymore. I just didn't care. And yeah. so when I came back home, we always, every night after work, we'd go outside and we'd have to work. So we worked on cars. We worked on whatever it was. And we worked till late at night. And that was just our life. But from that point on, I was gone. I was with my friends. It was just like, see you later. And unfortunately for my brothers, they then had to do all of that. But, uh, I, you know, I was gone. And that, that was kind of what led to all the craziness and, and and the different kind of weird relationship, quasi false or pseudo relationships, I guess I would call them, you know, on up through and, until maybe age, maybe age 30. If you could sum it up, though, because, man, there's a lot of depth there. And I know we don't have time to go into some of that depth. But sure. if you could sum it up as far as you were ready to step into your adult life. And you didn't care. What what did you believe? Was it a belief about yourself or was it a belief about the world? What did you believe to be true stepping into your adult life? Yeah, so I definitely didn't have a high opinion of myself, but I wanted to be more. So so I just had a hope, you know, and this belief that maybe there was something better. I didn't know how to get there. But because I didn't care, I literally didn't care about me. And then because I didn't care about me, I didn't really care about my many others. I remember having this idea that I cared more about animals than I did human beings at that time. And that lasted for at least a decade. And so, you know, I, I, I did a lot of shady things. I was not an honest person. I had my first uh, marriage in that time. And I mean, I, I got married because I had a broken ankle and needed insurance. That's so pathetic. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so what was that transition then? It sounds like you did have a little bit of an inkling of a hope and a little bit of a, a position of, okay, there, there's got to be something more, but you didn't know quite how to discover it. So what, where did that mind shift come in? What happened in that bend or that, that change in your, in your road? What was the, the circumstances that kind of facilitated to, 
hey, I can do this, or I know how to now bring about that hope. Yeah. So also in, in there, I should say, prior to that, I think my the same year, I think my, my grandmother died of uh, cancer. And I remember getting that call on Christmas morning and three o'clock and just saying, like thinking there can't be a God. Like, you know, you wouldn't take her, right? And and then, like I said, it wasn't just, it was kind of all those things all happening. And then sometime around age, I think 30 or so, I had finally just gotten to the point of I was out of control. I was going to destroy anything around me. And fortunately for me, I got arrested. And, and so that kind of separated me from consuming heavy amounts of drugs and being around really disturbing people. And so I become a, I, I was a, I'm a felon because I had a, a gun illegally in New York State. So I was given an option. Either you go get to treatment or you go to jail and, and well, prison. And so I went to treatment, even though, again, I, it's not what I wanted. And it's not what I, I didn't care. Again, I didn't care, but there was a little hope and I, there was enough people involved in the process that allowed me to, to still screw up and somehow stay because I didn't deserve to stay. There was, I, I didn't do anything to really deserve to be there over and over. But the cool thing that happened was, I remember this distinctly because this is another kind of profound moment. I remember being in this meeting and there was a, a big biker guy. He's he had huge meaty hands. I mean, just the biggest hands I'd ever seen in my life. And, and there was another person to my left and we were there and they were starting to pray. And it was again from, you know, a decade of oh, there's no God. I don't want to hear about it. And this, and I'm like, I'm afraid that guy grabbed a hold of my hand and I could not get my hand away. <laughs> and he just held it. And there was like a soothing thing that occurred in that prayer. Again, another piece of hope. And then I, I heard sometime after that, I heard another younger kid kind of tell my story and we, and not like what happened, but how I felt, what it was like, this, the inside stuff. And it's, and, and he, he was okay. Like his life was getting on track. You know, he wasn't homeless. He wasn't living under a tree. He wasn't destined to prison. He, he was actually destined to help take over the family business in Hawaii of all places. And so it, it did give me hope. And, and those two things reinforced it. And that just gave me that power, you know, from God. And then, and again, from there, having that hope and then that power, things really did start to change. I mean, slowly, but the seed had been planted and now there was a solution and my life started to improve. So walk me through that, that shift part of it, because I mean, that's a significant shift going from, I I have no hope. I don't care about anything. I don't, you know, I'll be who I have to be in the moment in order to either manipulate or please or get what I want to this whole concept of, there is hope. There is a higher power that's that that is helping me be able to attain and achieve more out of life. So what I mean, what happened in your mind to be able to have that shift? I know situations and circumstances, like you said, planted that seed. But what was going on deeper? I mean, it's not for me. There, it's there's no like existential thing there. It's just yeah. It was it was that prayer. It was a soothing, calming feeling. And and then seeing someone else who described how they felt or, yeah, I mean, like how they felt. And then because I couldn't put those things to words and I just, it clicked. And then all of a sudden things started to come together. 
And, um, you know, I became employed again and I I tried marriage again, which this time I tried for the right reasons. Still, I didn't have the the skill set to to do it. I think a therapist once told me that I had a bad picker, but to be fair, so did my (laughs) (laughs) ex-wives. Yeah. And so, you know, just again, it was very, but it was very gradual. And really from that point on, it was all about what I, what I, I guess there is something I learned here. I learned that it was really important to have the right people around you because that has been a theme throughout my life where, I mean, I was, you know, we were dirt poor, right? But most of the people I know today are millionaires. And I, I don't know why. It's not like I tried to make that happen. It's just little by little, gradually, the, the people, that I started to hang out with or, or talk to or became part of my life, they were doing different things. And I admired them for a variety of reasons. But that's really when that started to, to change. And I, and I would never have thought that would have happened, you know, as a kid. Let me ask you this question about that. How much influence do you think that has on your life, both previously and even now today? How much influence do those friends have, the people that you're hanging out with? A uh, significant amount. So, yeah. So, because it's, it's, uh, you know, it's like they say, garbage in, garbage out, right? You get the good stuff coming in, good stuff comes out. I don't know why that works exactly, but in my life, it definitely works that way. The, the people I talk to today, like, I, I mean, I love my family, but I'm not hanging around in that circle. I don't, you know, the, the topics of conversation today are not about who's in jail, who's, a crook who's stealing what, what, you know, is there an angle to this? It's not the kind of conversation. As a matter of fact, I don't even want those conversations. I remember when I started ACS in uh, 2008, you know, I, I, again, I didn't know really how to build a business. I had lots of small things, but I didn't know how to build a business that had multiple employees and, you know, covered a large territory. And I remember I would do the, I did the whole 1099 thing, you know, because no one would pay this amount of money, right? <laughs> so, so because I didn't believe that somebody would pay me for that, then I couldn't charge enough, you know? And so I had all these issues. And then I remember I was sitting around the campfire with my father-in-law, who's an attorney. And he says, I was telling him about it. No, you don't understand. And you can't be in business. He goes, why? Why can't you? And I respected him, and, and he's a very honest and honorable man. And I thought to myself, okay, why? So I went right out, 2011, and then everything became, you know, went on the books. Everything was legit from that point on. And I've never looked back. It's so, this life is so much better never having to look over your shoulder, and you know, because you made a mistake or you did something, and it kind of catching up to you. It's been, I just, I, I would never want to go back to that old, kind of life or even around that old lifestyle or environment. So what are the changes now? We talked a little bit about the masking, the manipulation, and then this whole aspect of there was always that little ounce of hope that just, like you said, it planted as a seed and it started growing and the influence of people around you nurturing that environment to give you that chance to actually grow the hope that's in you. So what do you do now? And what are your beliefs now to be able to step in and run you know, a large company with multiple employees and you're partnering with people that are millionaires and, you know, doing well, what, what are your beliefs now? What, where do you stand at this point? That's a difficult to, for me, that's a difficult question to answer a good one, but a difficult one. 
I absolutely believe that I have to give back. I have to, I have to be of service because that's been part of it. So the folks that I that are in my life today, they are people of service. They help others, and in most cases, they help others before asking for anything. And so that's what I'm attracted to. That's why I, I you know try to to model you know and, and demonstrate in my life. I remember I had this. I had an admin a few years ago, I think in like 2016. And um, I'd always had this idea from the time I was about eight years old that I would I would do something about hunger, right? Because I was on this school bus and and I saw my mom in this food line. It just blew my, I was so embarrassed, so ashamed, but then also proud because she stood there like majestically, just she didn't care. She didn't care that kids on the school bus were chanting and saying stupid stuff. And, and uh, it, it, that I always admired her. And I wanted to do something from that point on. I always wanted to do something for that. Again, that was part of that hope to give back. So it was weird. You know, I was kind of a, a, a crooked person. But then I always had the side that I wanted to do something to help others. But I, I, I shared that story with my admin. And she said, why don't you just do it? And again, just like my father knew him. Yeah, why don't I? Right? It just it's other people can see things far more obvious than I can for my life, and it's it's, it's such a profound thing sometimes. Uh, but now you know we we so you started the not for profit, and you know we've fed thousands of people in our community, and and, and we're taking it national, and it's just. What's the worthwhile. what's the name of the organization? Oh, cleaning up hunger. Yeah, perfect, yeah. perfect. And as we go, I mean, I, we'll put stuff in the notes that way people, if they want to get involved, they can link into that. So, but I mean, that's an incredible story. So, I mean, if you think about it, and I, I'm just kind of looking and listening to what you're saying. I mean, you go from manipulation and self serving to the extreme opposite of your whole life philosophy is about how do I be of service to other people? It's not what I can get, but how can I give? And that's a pretty significant shift. I mean, how do you how do you explain something like that to somebody that doesn't quite grasp the, you know, like they knew you when you were younger, all of a sudden they run into you. How do you explain to them like, no, look, I am changed. I have shifted massively. I don't know how I explain it, but I can tell you a little story one time. We had this, this we had this job, a clean-out job, and um, a gentleman that I knew at that time, but I didn't know in my past. He happened to be one of the contractors on the job, and I'd hired my mother and uh, my sister-in-law to to do painting in this house. And when I wasn't there, you know, because he heard all the horror stories, you know, that I'd shared with them, and he just didn't he didn't see whatever that was today or you know at, at that time. And so I just remember when he uh, apparently had talked to my mother, and she said, "Oh yeah." <laughs> you know, she just validated anything, I guess, that I had said to him. And he came back to me because I had no idea. So I don't really know how, because it, it's not the same. So it's not, to me, it's not believable from what other people tell me. Because again, it, it, they are were extremes. They are extremes. But again, I, the one thing I still, uh, one of the things I still struggle with today is really be building meaningful relationships. I mean, I, I, it's like, it's like I have to work at it. Right? Some people just do it naturally, but I have to check myself. Like I, I, I find myself, I'll come into the office 
and I want to get right to work, right? So I, I do, I, I skip the, the important things like, Hey, how was your day? How are you doing? And it's just, it's not in there. So I'm not sure why it's just not in there. And so I have to actually, it's almost like not real, but I have to do it so that it becomes real. Mm. If that makes sense. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I, I know many people are in the exact same position you are. They just didn't grow up with it. And again, I think it's out of, and this sounds awful, but I think it's out of ignorance. It's not out of a willful act to be that way. It's just that they didn't know anything else. That's what they were shown and that's what they adapted. So it's, it's, I mean, I love hearing these stories on how things have changed and how things are growing and, and where you're at. Let, let's do this. If, if somebody's listening today and you had just like 30 seconds, but you could only say one thing that you would hope would be able to change their lives or something that they could walk away with just listening to this pot, what would that one thing be that you would be able to share with them? And people, every time I do this, everybody sounds like, can I say two? And if you have that, that's fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. But what would be that one really like mic drop moment that you would say, listen, if you don't get anything else, please, please, please get this. I, I would just go back to a Henry Ford quote, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. That's, that's what seems to be true in my life. It's just, if I believe it, it can happen. If I don't, it doesn't. And then I guess I would add one other thing is mind your circle that it's, it's the most, it's been the most profound thing that for me in my life, good or bad is it's the people that I hang out with. It's the people that are a part of my life, the people that I listen to, I pay attention to the people that I bring in and not that, and this is not to say that you, you know, that I want to shun anyone. I, I don't even know how to say it because it's not like I, oh, I, I would talk to you uh, or you, you, you can't be a part of this. That's not really what I mean. It is that it, it, you, you really do have to be careful about who you surround yourself with because they genuinely influence your thinking, your decisions, your actions. And, you know, there's consequences to everything. So, Good or bad? <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, incredibly well said. So if somebody's listening to this and they're like, man, I, I need to talk to Laredo because, uh, you know, I just, I feel like he would understand where I'm at or I, I need to share my story or whatever. How can people get in touch with you? I know there's a business side and a little bit of the personal side. You also run a nonprofit. So just share what you would like as far as how to maybe get in touch with you on the ACS side, on the nonprofit side, and then personally, if you'd like. Well, I guess in any respect, I just throw out a, maybe an email to, to anyone, and, and that would be lbalkley, B-U-L-K-L-E-Y, at ACS Facilities, I-E-S at the end, dot com. You know, certainly respond to anyone. Because we, we have a, a digital media company, the the not-for-profit ACS, and and then I, I'm just launching a, a new uh, dumpster rental business up in Rochester. So the email is the best way. You it heard it. The, yeah, it's definitely <laughs> the best way. Yeah. Oh, perfect, perfect. Man, I, I I truly hope people reach out. And I say this at every episode. I say this at the end of every episode, but uh, I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. And I know Laredo's heart is exactly the same. And that's why people are on here is we want to be able to give back. We want to inspire. We want to support. We want to encourage you. And the biggest point is we want to make sure that you know that you're not alone. Whatever it is that you're going through, you are not alone. 
There are other people that have gone through it or are going through it. And there are many, many, many people that want to be able to just help in those matters. And so again, please, if this has touched you in any way, please reach out directly to Laredo. If you would like to uh, reach out to me directly, I'd love to be able to hear the stories, love to hear what's going on in your life. Again, thank you, Laredo. Thank you for sharing. This has been incredible. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say? And then I'll close it out. No, I, I mean, I don't really think so. I, I think uh, I just want to say thank you for giving this opportunity. I'd like to also kind of apologize a little bit. No apology it's, needed, man. I well, love it, the realness. It's hard to to uh, to talk about that stuff. Yeah, but thank you for sharing things. and thank you for being authentic with who you are. Uh, so until next time, keep living your journey, keep writing your narrative. We love to be able to hear about it. So we want to hear about your story. Check us out, like, subscribe, whatever I got to do to get you. <laughs> we'll see you guys again next time. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the author of your story? Take the next step now at www.narrative.live and enter your details to connect with a community of others just like you that are tired of living under the false narrative. Finding your true story and writing your narrative, it will give you clarity, freedom of your day, and it just might change your life forever.